Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host as we go through the big stories, the, the big happenings of high school sports on the WSN podcast. This week, uh, we're into spring sports. We've had uh, quite a few contests and games in spring sports, but later this week, beginning tomorrow, extending through potentially the end of the week, it's not looking too good for spring sports as spring in Wisconsin seems like it'll strike as it always does. Snow, rain, maybe some significant snow, especially in central and northern Wisconsin, likely to wipe out probably the entire spring sports schedule for the later part of this week. Hopefully, it won't linger into impacting next week's action, but you never know, especially if uh, you know, get 10, 12 inches of snow in the northern part of the state. It's going to take a while to, to melt, and uh, it could push the start of some of those contests, some of those games up in the Lakeland and the, uh, the Heart of the North and the Indian Head and, and others back even another week or two, which would obviously be unfortunate. Uh, sure hope we don't have to deal with things as bad as what we did last year, but remains to be seen, I guess. Uh, we do have uh, some some pretty big goings-on coming up next week uh, with the WIAA, specifically the WIA Board of Control meeting on Tuesday of next week, where there will be a vote on final passage of the football-only conference realignment plan, and also on Wednesday, the WIAA annual meeting, both held in Stevens Point, the annual meeting, a big get-together of all the schools in the state, uh, representatives from, from all of the schools, or hopefully all the schools, although there's usually 10 to 15% or, or more that don't attend for whatever reason. Um, but uh, a few interesting rule changes uh, on the agenda that have kind of come out of some instances in the last couple years, notably in basketball, that have really riled up some people and uh, made some people feel like, you know, it's it's time for a change on a few of these things. So we'll talk a little bit more in depth about them uh, online. I'll, I'll have a, uh, a column either later this week or early next week on WSN that'll kind of break down my thoughts on what will happen, uh, predictions on the, the votes for some of those significant issues coming up. Um, we'll have live coverage from the Board of Control meeting on Tuesday. We'll have live coverage from the annual meeting on Wednesday. So make sure you follow on Twitter. Follow me at TravisWSN. I believe Norbert Durst, our content manager, will be with me one or both of those days as well. And uh, we'll keep you updated on what actually does come out of those. Uh, but this is going to be a an edition of the podcast that is going to uh, be heavy on some of those things that are happening in kind of the off-the-court, off-the-field arena related to the business of the WIAA. And uh, we're going to talk in, in just a moment with Wade Lebecki from the WIAA about the background on some of those things, uh, you know, what might happen, what, excuse me, what they might mean, etc. cetera. Uh, so again, look for more information on that in the coming days on WSN. Don't forget, there are still some events going on. There's still going to be uh, some, some games held tonight as we record this uh, on Tuesday afternoon. 
hopefully some teams took advantage of uh, being proactive in moving games, if possible, from later in the week to tonight or last night. I know there were a few that did that, and that's always great to see, especially in spring sports, when coaches and athletic directors and commissioners can be proactive if, again, it is uh, available. You got to work with a lot of parameters of field availability, of, of potentially other games conflicting more and more. You have to work around whether you can find officials for those contests as well. So a lot of things go into it, but uh, again, hopefully uh, there there are some things that can be done to try to mitigate the negative impacts that the, the weather will have. And as I mentioned earlier, there are some very interesting topics and some interesting uh, things coming up next week, not from an on-court, on-field perspective per se, but in the business of the WIAA. On Tuesday is the WI Board of Control meeting where the Board of Control will consider second consideration of the uh, large-scale football-only conference realignment that has been discussed uh, for the last year or so. And then on Wednesday is the annual meeting, a chance for all of the members' schools to get into one spot to talk about the things that are going on in the association in high school sports and vote on a number of amendments, including a couple that I think have really caught people's attention and caught people's eye. And to talk a little bit more about both of those things coming up next week is Wade Lebecki from the WIA, Deputy Director of the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association. Wade, I know it can be a busy time of the year for you, especially with those meetings coming up next week, but definitely appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us here. No problem, Travis. Well, let's uh, let's kind of dive right into it, and, and we'll start with uh, what is coming up on Tuesday, and that is the anticipated vote on second consideration passage of the football-only conference realignment plan. Uh, something that obviously you have uh, been very involved with and I've been involved with as well as a part of that ad hoc committee. But let's take a step back for just a moment and, and kind of go back to when you and the WIA brought this to the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association back in late 2017. What were some of the things that you were hoping to accomplish? What did you think would come out of those discussions and in, in having the WFCA involved? And ultimately, how has the process changed or uh, been adjusted as talks have gone along over the last year and a half or more? I think the key thing is, is you know, the membership brought it forward. And, you know, for multiple years now, we had several schools like Hudson who had asked for schedule and relief because they, they just struggle trying to find Division One schools. And when we have conferences of 10, they're closed up and, we have conferences of nine, and there's only one week of, of um, non-conference games. Or or we had those 16s where the crossovers were uh, taken up to non-conference games. And, and Hudson and Menominee were really essentially shut out of, of the opportunities to play games. And that happened to some schools down in the south part of the state, too, the southeastern part, where they just could not find the competition. So really, it started coming forward i believe hudson for the last two or three years has stood up at the annual meeting and asked for the district plan so we went to the area meetings two years ago and uh in 17 in september 17 and asked our, our our member schools you know are you interested in district plan football only or leaving it alone and really this came out of that um, discussion was to go ahead and and look at the football only plan so we met with the coaches in december of 17 and 
and start talking about it. And uh, as they, they were talking about it, uh, you know, they made a recommendation that this is what we do. And I, I think they've heard from their membership as well, from the coaches, that they need some help. They, they you know, with the eight-player schools deciding at the last minute to go to eight-player and then leaving a hole in the schedule, and it, it, it really created some issues for us. So that really is the, how it began. And, and the, the, really the good thing about working through the football coaches is it does go ahead and have that grassroots uh, foundation. So they did work through all of the coaches, and, 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 and you know, uh, they contacted the coaches who were moving and made, made them aware of that. I know some coaches weren't happy that they weren't contacted uh, to see if they could get relief, but this plan really wasn't about getting relief. It was, it was trying to go ahead and uh, – Schedule, provide schedule relief in weeks three through nine to get everybody really with uh, seven games for the playoffs, which uh, we will address in our meeting in December of this year as a requirement, but to get everybody trying to get into the state's playoffs into the same consistent manner, which is the same number of conference games, because they varied from all over from nine conference games all the way down to you know four or five conference games, depending on situation if they if they were you know left out in the cold by a team turning to eight player so really as it has worked it's worked its way through i think the coaches did a fantastic job of making everybody aware and uh, i remember being at the coaches clinic and last march and and the discussion uh, was was very good uh, we had met with them you know met with the coaches in february before that so the, they were able to present at the clinic some of their initial ideas and obviously this last july we came out with a preliminary plan and we had a lot of adjustments with the eight player and with the co-ops coming up in February. So the final plan was put together in you know, February 6th and we sent it out to all the superintendents, athletic directors and principals again, let them see it. And, and obviously on March 1st, it was first approved. And now we're going to see at this meeting if the board wants to follow up and, and, and make it a change for 2020. As you think back to uh, when that task was initially handed off to the WFCA, has the end product kind of been what you were hoping for? Not necessarily the specific conference assignments, but just in general, the things that went into it, how it looked, how it took shape. Is it what you were hoping it would be? You know, I think it is. Um, you know, it, it's got a good mix of, of schools geographically and by enrollment. And, you know, that's tough to do. It's it's really tough to do. And I know there's some schools that are uh, have long distance um, We've been hearing from River Falls. We've been hearing from Hayward uh, about uh, the uh, distance that they're going to have, and uh, we understand that. But when we came into trying to go, get into groups of eight and get into groups of seven, there was going to be some travel and there's going to be some movement. And, you know, I, I'm not sure what the exact number is. I think Doug said about 10%, 15% were moved. And that I understand that's going to make some changes. But I think overall the state has really accepted it. So. As far as what I expected, yes, they did a they did a great job, and you know, matching up the sevens for crossovers works out well. We have some questions on that. You know, do they have to count those uh, for playoff purposes? Yes, but for conference championships, not necessarily. We'll leave that up to them. But I think overall, the the, the coaches. I mean, it's a splendid plan, especially considering the the fact that we had those changes in December of the eight players, which is now up to 49 schools. And with the co-ops, we had one or two co-ops that changed, and, and that, that made a difference in the plan as well. But, you know, one change, um, I think it was when uh, they looked at the uh, 
uh, Cooley and they they put Westby and I think no Viroqua back into there. It changed about uh, ten different schools. <laughs> so I mean, it's really interesting to see how one change will do that, and that domino effect is what you have going on. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it, it, what they did is is outstanding. You know, we keep using the term unprecedented. It is because it's a statewide realignment and. I know when when and when Deb did it the, the old way, uh, you know, 83 schools getting worked up was a lot, and this year involved at least 400. So I mean, yes, they did an outstanding job. You mentioned that there are a, a few schools that are not in the best of situation and, and have expressed, you know, some uh, some frustration, disappointment, or or preference for a different placement. Um, has it been? ones that you thought would be challenging areas just based on the logistics of how many schools there are in that area, how many um, schools of that size, et cetera, are the, are the ones that are problematic, the ones that, that you would have thought heading into this? You know, yes. Uh, you know, the two I mentioned, River Falls and Hayward, I, yeah, we, we figured that there would be some issues with travel and, um, and we understand that, and that's the beauty of the plan: is that every two years you can you can ask for some relief or ask to have it reevaluated. And and if something changes dramatically, we can we can uh, have the task force make that change. So there are changes. I, I think you know, um, up in the northeast, we had some uh, changes with uh, uh, the MON uh, LPC uh, conferences. I call them monopolies because I can't say all those initials uh, uh, right away, but. You know, and, and, and some schools are concerned because we do have, uh, you know, a, a school that's uh, O'Connell Falls, which is 489. And, um, you know, they got relief out of the Bay Conference in order to go ahead and, and be able to compete there. But there's schools concerned about the size there. And uh, hopefully, you know, for two or three years they can they can play through it. And if O'Connell Falls uh, recovers, uh, they, they might be able to move into the other side where the schools are, are more, uh, you know, their size and more geographic. But that, that's one of the things that's uh, good about the plan being a two-year plan and having reevaluations is maybe those two get put back together and instead of the uh, east and the west, uh, they decide they might want to go large and small. It would increase their travel. But if enrollment's the biggest thing, then that, that would be the solution there. So really overall, I think the coaches did a, did a very good job of making sure that they were close to two to one. We didn't guarantee that, but close to that. And uh, try to keep it as compact as as it is, you know, as far as travel goes. It's not easy. It's not an easy task. And really, uh, I understand that there's going to be some added expenses with increased travel in some cases, but uh, we're going to send the um, overall plan to UW-Stevens Point. They're going to, uh, if approved by the board on the, 7th, on the 16th, we'll send it to them on the 17th, and by the end of May, they should be able to provide a, a conference schedule for 20 and 21 for all of the schools involved. And uh, what our goal there is that they can go ahead and take a school like a Hayward and tell, you know, the schedule would indicate that they would not go to Rhinelander and Annie go in the same year. They would go to one and the other one would come to them. So you would try to make sure that the travel is as equal amongst the members as, as it is. So overall, I, I think the, it's, it's come worked out to rather well. And, and, you know, we're, as we've moved along here, different schools have gone ahead and, and had their 
um, issues. Uh, the coaches have addressed those, but once again, if you move one, then it affects others, and 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 you know the domino effect again comes into play. So we'll have to hopefully get it put in place, and then once it's in place, then we can tweak it, and then we can make it better. We're talking with Wade Lebecki, the deputy director at the WIAA. You mentioned the the task force, the realignment task force, which was kind of developed concurrently but separately by the WIAA to handle not only the realignment request that might come in as part of this potential plan, but just realignment in general, having that more of a communal uh, uh, atmosphere and having it a committee, uh, multiple people, multiple viewpoints doing that instead of uh, the, the old process, which... Uh, fell on one person, and that was Deb Hauser. Uh, Deb Dinkle uh, handled that for many years. Um, it, it seemed like a lot of the the conversations and the, even the challenges that uh, that realignment task force talked about early on were a lot of the same challenges that we were talking about uh, with our realignment plan and a lot of the potential solutions and, and ways to handle requests, et cetera. Uh, that, that the WFCA committee had uh, kind of been talking about were in, in implemented and endorsed and taken hold by that task force as well. Right, and, and you know, the task force, and we had a really uh, a great uh, committee put together. I think there were 15 people on there, and uh, Stephanie Hauser, myself, and Dave Anderson, we worked with them as liaisons, but we allowed them to come up with the process and come up with the, the timeline and, and the flowchart and all of that, and I think uh, the, the plan just uh, worked out great. And that committee now will be charged with going ahead and overseeing requests for realignment. So uh, it was a it was a big task. We met three times. I think we met in uh, August, October, and in December. Forwarded the plan to uh, the board of control in January, and the board adopted it. While the board still maintains authority over all conference realignment, this committee will in fact represent the member schools and, and they will be able to hear the concerns and, and as a committee of 15, uh, they'll be able to go ahead and meet, evaluate those requests and go ahead and, and see if they can implement them. We're trying to be more transparent. We've created a website for it. Uh, so the, the schools and the public will be able to see who's requested it and why. Uh, we're going to have an application process that's going to be much more thorough. You're not going to be able to stand up in, at an area meeting and say, we want to be realigned. Uh, this process is going to, going to ask you for input on as far as your demographics, on why, the reasons that you're asking for it, what your conference schools have, have thought about it, what your proposed solution would be. And that's an important piece because, uh, you know, rather than just standing up and say, we want to be realigned, put us somewhere. Uh, no, we're going to, we're, there's going to be some expectations on what your possible solutions are, why those solutions should work, and the other schools affected are going to have input on that plan as well as, as to whether they're in favor of it or not in favor of it. And one of the keys is, is, is that there will be an evaluation process. So that committee will evaluate the, the applications, which will be due by December 1st. Uh, they'll meet in, the, in December, the second week, or the second Wednesday in December, evaluate those, pre present some preliminary uh, plans in January, they'll meet again, and they'll be able to hear from people who were denied uh, the opportunity to get relief, and from those affected. And then hopefully they'll come out with final uh, presentations that they would present to the board in March. Uh, and then there is an appeal process for the schools if they were denied by the 
task force twice uh, in December and in January, they could go to the board in February. And if the board decided that those uh, schools should get relief, then the committee would come back together and, and see what they could do. But ultimately, there's more transparency and there are more opportunities to be heard. And, and I think that's going to be a good, good process. So it was a, it was a long process. And, and you're right, it was a big task. Uh, you know, working on both of those, it was it was it was interesting to see how how large of a task they were, but but to see them accomplished, it's very very fulfilling because it's uh, you know they were such large tasks. As my friend uh, Matt Hensler at Badger likes to say, the the easy fix for all of this is just to make a plan where every school is the largest team in their conference and has the shortest travel, right? <laughs> exactly, and you know, it's funny how. Uh, every school wants into a certain conference in the southeast. Every school wants in a certain conference in the in the central part of the state. And you know we can't put everybody in the same conference, or we just call the entire plan, you know, the woodland or the trailways. But uh, you know it's, it's it match match right, and it's difficult. And conference realignment is not an easy task. And you know there, sometimes you have to. You may not get everything you want, but we want to make sure that when somebody is placed into a, a conference, that it makes sense and it's defendable and you know that they're not going to the programs aren't going to be hurt you can't guarantee everybody results on the field or on the court but you can go ahead and put them into a situation where they're competitive and that's the goal is is to try to make sure they're competitive and you know some people will look at a conference and say well we can't compete in there well you need to try it and and, and there are some you know responsibilities that members have uh, you have to give your kids the best coaching that they can get as well. And your coaches have to give those kids the best teaching that they can and instruction they can as well for them to be successful on the field. So there's a whole lot of factors that go into success on the field, and conference you know, realignment is only a, a piece of it. I think that's a very telling way to put it, that your success as a team, as a program, the conference you're in only plays a small part, and there's so many more variables and factors that go into it. Uh, again, the football-only realignment plan uh, will get second consideration for final passage at the Board of Control meeting on Tuesday. The vote the last time around was 9-2 to two in favor, uh, which probably gives you a pretty good idea of how things might go this time around. The other big part of next week is, of course, the annual meeting on Wednesday, a uh, opportunity, again, for all schools to uh, come together to hear about what's going on in the association and in high school athletics and vote on amendments. And some years, the amendment process has been pretty interesting. Uh, as you well know, Wade, over, over the years, uh, you think back to the multiplier and, and then the reducer discussions and votes a few years ago, things have been a little bit calmer the last few years, it seems like. But there are, I think, two in particular amendments on the agenda this year that are uh, have generated a lot of discussion over the last uh, few years here, and I think will be very interesting to follow at the annual meeting on Wednesday. And want to just have you update us a little bit on those two in particular. And the first one would be the uh, amendment to the WI Code of Conduct that would deal with a student that was charged or convicted with a felony. Uh, becoming ineligible. And there obviously was a very uh, high-profile case involving this situation last year at the Basketball State Tournament. So if you could just uh, fill us in on the background on this, what it would do, what it would mean, and uh, maybe what some of the initial um, 
opinions were from some of the other groups at the WIAA that have a say, the uh, the Advisory Council, Board of Control, Advisory Committee, et cetera. Right, and, you know, with the Code of Conduct update, with, the, you know, the student debt, uh, that change would prevent a student who's been charged and or convicted of a felony from competing until the student has satisfied the requirement, uh, requirements of the court. That one, you know, it, it, it came to light last year because of a situation on the basketball court. And, uh, you know, the student served his penalty for the code of conduct and, and served it as a cross-country runner, and uh, the student was able to go ahead and participate fully in the basketball season. And really a lot of the a lot of the negativity uh, arose once the the school started having more success and, and then got into the playoffs. And the further they competed, the more isolated the, the view was on that situation. And really that's not, uh, you know, that isn't the reason for the, the rule being brought forward. Uh, it, it probably brought it to the surface. Uh, we have been looking at some sort of rule similar to this for, for a while. Uh, back uh, about three years ago, there was a student who participated in basketball as well and uh, was charged with uh, some sort of a um, sexual assault and was playing in the basketball tournament as well. And then, uh, you know, this fall as well, there was a felony up in the north uh, north part of the state where uh, uh, some students were involved in a um, hunting incident and, and left the scene after a um, after a person was uh, injured uh, in a hunting accident. And so there's multiple different situations that really brought this, you know, forward. And I, I, know, I know it's reaction and people will blame it on the one incident, but there's, there's multiple incidents where this has come around. And really the discussion at the area meeting with the member schools was do we want something here that will be the same for all of our schools? Because initially the proposal was we would let the student be a participant in the regular season, but then the restriction would apply to the WIA tournament season. And, and many of our member schools struggled with that part of it because they were afraid that really, uh, you know, it would be hard to tell the person you can do the regular season and you're out for the tournament. But the, the reason we brought that forward was, quite frankly, the fact that when you are sitting in uh, your uh, tournaments, they are also affecting all of the member schools, and any negativity could could affect uh, sponsors who might not sponsor the state tournament. Uh, they could affect the bottom line, and and you know so there's multiple reasons, and we don't like to talk about money all of the time, but you know it does affect the association as a whole when you've got the negativity there as well as it affects the reputation of the association that you don't do anything. I think, you know, last year when, when things were binging into my email and, and, uh, and that it was very real negative and, and, uh, you know, it was all over the news and, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of the people did a great job of being objective about it, but really they, they really were only focusing on the fact that uh, a student had committed a felony, uh, been convicted of a felony, they didn't understand the fact that they had served their code of conduct violation. So this change here really is to go ahead and, and make it the same throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire um, membership. And that's what, what we came out of the area meetings with, is they didn't want it just for tournaments. They wanted it for the entire um, membership. Uh, they were also concerned about the fact that it would, you know, if, if the DA wasn't expedient, 
um, or if charges were dropped. And that's why we state, we changed it to state that while the um, until the courts considered the sentence served, including probation, community service, etc. So that would allow the courts or the, the sentence or the, the restriction to be shorter. But we also, that would allow, if it's dropped to a misdemeanor, that the student would become eligible once the courts have adjudicated all of the past, um, you know, the sentences and what they've wanted for, what they wanted completed for that uh, area. So it really, it evolved from September um, through this presentation uh, to the member committees, um, sports advisory in January, advisory council in January, and then a board ultimately in March. Like I touched upon, some of the reasons that, you know, the uh, overall support for it from the athletic directors is 13 nothing. Uh, from the advisory council, it's 9 to 6. And really, um, the, the change for that one um, is uh, the, uh, the reason for that change is the fact that, like I said, they were concerned about the how fast the uh, court system moves and whether or not the courts around the state charge the same. So the advisory council is made up of administrators, and I think they really started to focus on, well, you know, if you steal somebody's uh, iPhone, that's $1,000, that's grand theft, as you could be charged with a felony, where if you assault somebody, um, you, you could have first-degree assault, and that's a prison sentence of, you know, 15 years, and, and you're charged the same. Uh, for for the felony, so uh, by our code of conduct, and and that's I think why you see uh, the nine to six vote at the advisory council, at the board of control it was ten to one, and and the one negative uh, very simply said that uh, there's no competitive advantage if uh, somebody's on the court uh, as a felon, and and um, it was it was that simple, uh, and you know ultimately that's true, but that's you know not why it's being brought forward is not competitive balance, it's being brought forward due to the other reasons, you know, being the code of conduct and and uh, becoming of an athlete and uh, living up to the ideals of a student athlete. So uh, that's that's the, that's that one there, the, the felony. I'm, I think I've covered it all. Yeah, uh, very good. And, and we're continuing our discussion with Wade Lebecki from the WIAA. Uh, the other amendment that uh, is a real hot-button issue, uh, especially the last few years, and especially last year with some very high-profile basketball transfers, boys' basketball transfers, into Nicolay is a, uh, a rule proposal, a change to the Constitution that would deal with pre-existing athletic relationships. Correct me if I'm wrong, Wade. This is something that, that you guys uh, borrowed from, I believe it was the Michigan State Association, um, if you could give us some background on that and how this would be applied and what you anticipate might be some of the challenges with it or even the enforcement challenges that might arise out of uh, such a rule. Right, and you know, this one, this change here, it would restrict students who transfer with a pre-existing athletic relationship with anyone in the school that they're transferring into. So, and the pre-existing relationship includes athletes on the same non-school team, uh, the school coaches working with non-school teams, uh, school coaches from a previous school, uh, summer contact, uh, whether a school or non-school, personal training, et cetera. All of those items would affect the status of this. And really, we're seeing what we're seeing at nation nationally, and you're right, uh, this rule uh, did uh, start out in Michigan, the, the version that, that we're using. Uh, 
we're seeing where schools or kids will transfer because of their summer AAU affiliations, and they will go to the school team. And uh, that there is one of the reasons for this rule. And we also see it in hockey where, where some kids will play together on a junior team or they'll play together on, on one of those um, uh, Tier 1 teams where they play hockey in the fall, then they stop through their high school season, and then they play hockey in March after the high school season's over with. They're starting to migrate to those um, schools and, and that uh, the majority of them go to. So this rule is being put into effect for that. It would make them ineligible for competition at any level. Uh, for one calendar year if there is a pre-existing relationship. This goes into effect whether or not there's a total and complete change of residence or whether it's just an open enrollment situation. So it really focuses on that athletic relationship. Uh, so many times it's hard, I think, for our member schools to go ahead and demonstrate that somebody has recruited. But it's very easy to say somebody has. So this rule here kind of is in between there where, you know, if you're going there to a school that somebody on your athletic team, on your AAU team was on during the summer, obviously there's been communication. Obviously there's been some form of, of getting together and, and making that decision. And this rule then would have some teeth to it where, where it could be proven. As far as what we would uh, assist the schools with, I do have a form that we've created that we would ask the family to fill out and the previous school to sign off on on what they have done uh, uh, athletically over the summer and what they have, uh, who they've worked with over the summer. Uh, so we would try to give it uh, some uh, help to our schools to go ahead and, and make sure that they have a, a way of going ahead and checking that out because, you know, really our schools, um, their, their issue uh, for the most part is what if somebody lies to you well you know I don't know about uh, you but I get lied to quite a bit probably uh, in August about five times a day and uh, you know later on probably only one one time a day but um, you know if, if somebody's not truthful we have a rule for that as well that they're ineligible for competition from uh, their last comp uh, competition if they've, in fact, provided false information to a school. So we're trying to get, ease our members uh, on that piece of it. But uh, essentially, uh, the student will be asked to fill out a transfer uh, student athletic participation history form. And on that form, they will have, have to list all of the sports that they've played or tried out at another school and or uh, with a non-school organization, whether it's a club team or an AAU team or Legion Baseball. It doesn't matter what sport it is. And then they'll be asked some questions. Have you practiced on this team, and has anybody been the coach? So if the coach is the AAU baseball or the American Legion Baseball uh, coach, and uh, you were on the American Legion Baseball team and now you transfer to that school, uh, we're going to be able to see that right away, and the student would be ineligible for competition at any level in all sports if they transfer to that school. So that relationship, hopefully we will provide some resources that uh, our schools can go ahead and utilize. Um, and, the, uh, you know, there's private instruction. It could be a golf coach at, uh, at a golf country club, and uh, if, if you get lessons from the golf coach and decide to go to that 
during the summer and you decide to go to that school in the fall, then that would be an athletic relationship. So it really pans out to almost all sports that there's, there's a potential for that to exist. Now, once again, it only applies to teams, so it does not apply to camps. So if you go to a camp at, at uh, UW-Madison and, and the coaches work in the quarterback station and, and you go through that camp, that's not a pre-existing relationship. The pre-existing relationship is if you're on that coach's seven-on-seven team during the summer, and then you transfer to that coach's team, then then you would ha- then that rule would apply. So, those are kinds of the things that we're trying to to explain to people so they can they can go out and make an educated vote. One question I had: uh, How would this factor in with the existing transfer rule regarding six uh, six consecutive semesters? Would this apply to everybody? or only those that transfer after uh, that sixth semester? No, this applies to any transfer after they enter grade nine. So if once you're into high school, if you have this pre-existing, so if you're in, in the summer of, of ninth grade, you're playing AU basketball with four kids, and you, and you transfer into a school where three of them are at, then this rule would kick in for your sophomore year. So it will apply any time during grades 9 through 12. Gotcha. It will not apply before ninth grade. Um, the annual meeting, again, there are a number of amendments on the, uh, on the agenda. There's some editorial changes, et cetera. Uh, those are the two that, that caught my eye and that had generated the most discussion. Anything else of note, either from amendments or what you anticipate being discussed at the annual meeting that may stand out? Well, I do think that the, the fifth um, rule that uh, we're proposing, rule change that we're proposing, again, is, is the transfer rules of eligibility. And we're trying to go ahead and provide unrestricted eligibility for transfer students who did not participate in athletics at all. A lot of times when we get some transfers, whether it's a large school to a small school or a small school to a, another small school, we'll have students who transfer and they have no prior athletic participation. So, and, and as an example, you might have a student at a larger school and they transfer from, say, uh, Nina to, uh, to Amro. And when you transfer from Nina, a school that's, you know, close to 2,000 to Amro, a school that's about 300, they may not have tried out for the basketball team at Nina. But now that they're in Amro, they have this opportunity to try out for the basketball team. And the transfer rule will catch up to them and, and make them either non-varsity for a year or no competition at any level. This rule proposal would say that a, tra- a student who transfers into the member school without ever participating in a tryout or a practice, a scrimmage, or a contest for a team sport or for a club sport, they would be unrestricted when they enter that new school. And I think that's an important one. It's, it's not one that's going to be available to a lot of students, but uh, I'll tell you as a person who oversees eligibility here that this probably will help about you know a couple dozen students, and I, I think it's a good change. Uh, so I'm thinking that that one will pass. And it includes club sport. Once again, remi- remember, I talked about that hockey. Um, and, and we'll see that sometimes uh, students will go out for club hockey. And club hockey can be 14U or 16U. So they haven't participated in the school hockey program, but they've done this club hockey. And if they transfer into a school that has hockey, this this rule will not provide them relief because they've had experience in club hockey. So. But it would, it would apply to any students who haven't had high school or club athletic experiences. They, they would become unrestricted right away. I think that's a, 
that's a very good, uh, you know, rule proposal. I, I think that one will pass. The other, the other two are dealing with football only. If football only passes on Tuesday, then we would want that the fact that anybody who's going to change from eight player to eleven player or eleven player to eight, they do that by December first. And and same with football co-ops in order to go ahead and expedite the um, conference realignment plan in those even years. Uh, and then the first two are, are membership uh, issues, um, one with the uh, with somebody uh, who secedes or leaves the WIA, whether pointing out they cannot participate in WIA tournaments. That makes sense, but we want to put it in writing. And then there's an opportunity to come up with an intermediate uh, penalty for the Board of Control to apply to schools. But overall, uh, I think they're, you know, you, you pointed to the two biggies, and then the other five I think are, are relatively easy ones. Uh, the editorially, we're going to pull out all the conference realignment stuff and put in the task force stuff so uh, people will be able to see the conference realignment flow chart. Uh, we're eliminating all the references to summer baseball. And then the um, final proposal uh, or the final editorial, uh, really the, the last one is going to deal with uh, if you are ejected from a contest or <laughs> if you're ejected from a contest that you must serve that at the same level. As, as your disqualification was, um, it, that seems like a that's a common sense one, and that's what the board's been doing for 30 years. But uh, we're going to put it in writing to make it a little bit clearer. So those are the editorial changes, um, and we'll, I don't think there'll be any issues with those. Once again, those are clarifications; they're not rule changes, so those usually apply pretty easily. Serving a suspension at the same level of competition as a disqualification, I, I can't think of any times that may have uh, come up in the last few months, but we'll leave that for a different discussion. Uh, Wade, really appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us. One one final question I did have, and, and you were talking quite a bit about transfer rules and regulations, and I've, I've got this question a few times and wanted to bounce it off of you. How many roughly transfer requests or waiver requests of the transfer rules do you receive and, and process per year at the WIAA? Oh, man, that's a... That's a good question. You know, I, I do a lot of them. And uh, when I first got here, uh, I, I remember my first day when I was asking what the heck I got myself into. Um, I think on one day I had 150 uh, emails, 100 phone calls, and 40 faxes. And uh, it, it really struck me as, man, this isn't uh, really what I thought I'd signed up for. But uh, that back, back when this transfer rule, and remember, I got here when the transfer rule really went into effect. Uh, they changed it. Uh, because of a situation back in 2006 with a bunch of transfers going to uh, uh, one school down in for a scene, and uh, it got really tough. So when I walked into the, and it took effect in 2008, I came into the office in the, the summer of 2009, and the rule really stated any transfer after sophomore year, after the fourth consecutive semester, no competition, no practice, nothing. And that was a toughie. That was that was hard, and uh, I think when I came in here, I'm looking at the waivers. Um, I want to say for eligibility, there were 800 of them, and uh, there's only one guy who reviews them. The next year, in 2009 and 10, was a thousand of them, and uh, really at the um, percentage for the residence transfer, uh, right around 64% approval when I when I look at those waiver requests, and then we've kind of 
uh, relaxed the rule a little bit. So we said, you know, well, you can practice. I think that was in 2010 at the annual meeting. We said, well, that, that's awfully hard, and it's hard to explain. So we allowed them to practice in a transfer after sophomore year. So they decreased down to 937, it looks like. And then it's slowly gone down. So now we're, you know, same percentage of approvals for waiver requests. But now we're down to 2012 to about 875 of them. And I think this last year, not this year, but last year, we're down to 724. So they've, they've gone down quite a bit. Um, and, you know, the percentage of, of waiver requests is about the same, about 67% approval rate. So, uh, but there's quite a few of them, uh, you know. So you still have the people who want to claim extenuating circumstances, and that's something unforeseen, uncontrollable, unavoidable that forces a transfer. And, you know, the, a lot of people don't understand that the difference between extenuating circumstances and choices. So, I mean, if you don't like the football coach, uh, if you want to get uh, AP classes, if if you want to go somewhere else uh, because you don't think the environment is yours, those are all choices, and those waivers are not granted. But we see a lot more for bullying, and and those are really hard to hard to process. But you know, they, they you have to have the documentation. But quite a few of them, Travis. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of them even yet. August is a very busy month, you know, and especially when you know you get the new school year coming around. I imagine in. Uh, uh, you do a great work, Wade. We've uh, we've talked many times, and uh, I know a, a number of these processes and plans that are uh, being discussed and, and being voted on next week. You were very involved with, so uh, definitely appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Hopefully, you can uh, can get caught up on some things, and uh, not too many <laughs> spring sports cancellations. That's that's what we always hope for, right? Well, we're going to see because I think on, on this Wednesday, we're Wednesday to Friday, you know, parts of the state are going to get <laughs> anywhere from eight to sixteen inches of snow. And Heidi and myself, we just got done assigning all of those umpires for regionals and sectionals, and that's quite the task. I, I, I'd rather do waivers than do the umpire assignments. I mean, that's that's a lot of work. But uh, we we hope we can get to some spring weather. It was really nice yesterday when it was short sleeve weather. Yeah, hopefully. Uh... And I saw a few teams did take advantage and move some things around, move games up to take advantage of it. But uh, we hope for the best, I guess. Wade, again, appreciate you joining us. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll see you next week at the area. Excuse me, at the annual meeting at the board of control meeting. Sounds good, Travis. Thank you. So there you have it. Some great discussion with Wade Lebecki from the WIAA. Great insight into uh, what some of the changes on the agenda next week will mean, what the background is, what the impetus is for uh, schools bringing those things forward. And as I uh, always remind people, the WIA is a member organization. It's the schools that are responsible for generating the rules of the association. Uh, these proposals that they're uh, bringing forward were member-generated. Ultimately, they are voted on by the membership. The WIA staff, who feels the wrath of a lot of people when it comes to controversial things or things that people don't like, they're just kind of the caretakers, the uh, the ones that implement uh, and administer the rules. But ultimately, those rules are developed by the schools themselves. It's easy to kind of have that idea of the WIA as the the boogeyman up in Stevens Point that uh, you know just does everything themselves, does whatever they want, but ultimately. The schools are responsible. The schools put the rules into effect either at the annual meeting or the board of control. Um, 
So if you don't like something, don't flood Wade, Wade Lebecki's inbox. Uh, work with your local school. Um, they can bring those issues forward and kind of go from there. Uh, but it is going to be a, a an exciting annual meeting, hopefully. The last couple have been pretty dull. Um, should have some good discussion, especially on those two big ticket, uh, big ticket type uh, amendments related to pre-existing athletic relationship, and then also the uh, the, the felony uh, rule. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Like I said earlier, I'll have an article on WSN that'll lay out what I think will happen and, and why, etc. So look for that likely early next week, probably on Monday. Um, we'll get that out. Uh, but in the meantime, Mother Nature, take it easy on us. Let us get some spring sports games in this week. Uh, if there are some games that get in, as we always say, take advantage, get out uh, and, and take some of that in. Um, but until next time, until next week, I am Travis Wilson. This has been a WSN podcast. We'll see you at a game. <laughs>